Uh, we're in a series titled Proverbs and Our Relationships. Proverbs is an amazing book of wisdom. There are 31 chapters, so we could read a, a chapter every day to gain in wisdom and transformation for our lives, especially in our relationships. Last week, uh, Pastor John and Pastor Mark and Sue Lee preached on first having the right relationship with God, and that's the foundation of, of everything. It begins with having a healthy fear of God, not terror in God, but, but being in awe of His majesty and His wonder and His power. Today, we're going to look at marriage. Now, I know not everyone here is married. You might be ready to check out for the next 20 minutes or so because you're single. But you never know. You never know. Marriage is a model of God's relationship with us. The church is the bride of Christ and re represents that example to us. So the better you understand, the better you understand the real thing about marriage. And it's good to listen in. Now I want to tell you, singleness is a blessing. The world tells lies about singleness. The world constantly proclaims, if you're single, you are less or missing out. Singleness is not second less. Singleness opens up so much for a person. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 8. He says, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might, might well be the best thing for them as it is, has been for me. Look at your single life as a blessing, my friends. Simpler life, and it opens up so many possibilities to serve God and to serve those around you. But I want to talk about marriage now. God loves marriage. It was his idea after all. He wants us to delight in our marriage. Marriage is a blessing. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. He receives favor from the Lord. God wants his people to delight in themselves and their spouse and be, because marriage is a sweet and precious gift of God and he desires righteousness in our relationships in marriage. Marriage helps us to develop the character of God himself and stick with, as we stick with our, our spouses and persevere through the good times and the bad times. Every wedding gives birth to a new history, a new creation, a new beginning. And the spiritual meaning of marriage is walking through his story together. God wants, his, wants marriages not only to be happy but to be holy as well. On July 18, 1992, I married Kim Schindler. Now she's Coleman. Here at Anderson Hills, I was standing right over there, right there, my friends. We were kids. Look at this. Unprepared for the journey, 21 years old. By the grace of God, we're still married. Our, our marriage is definitely not perfect. It's been difficult in a lot of ways. There's been a lot of grace on her part, a lot of forgiveness and patience on her part. We've changed together, and I could say we date all the time. We pray together, we serve one another, and thanks be to God, we have raised two remarkable children together. And my smoking hot wife's sitting right there. <laughs> so what is this wisdom that Solomon makes to us, gives to us about marriage? 
First, Solomon gets into the wisdom of contentment. There's so much wisdom in contentment. Discontentment can, can seep into a marriage in many forms. Teddy Roosevelt said, discontentment is a thief of joy. And how does discontentment creep in? First, it creeps in through comparison. Comparing your spouse to others breeds discontentment. Why? Because you're always, uh, always lose in the comparison game. Someone always seems to have it better than you. You go on your annual family trip to the lake, but then you see the Joneses on social media go on their annual trip to Hawaii. And comparison stinks. Whoop-de-doo, you know? Even comparing your spouse to themselves five or 20 years earlier can be harmful. Comparison can make you look down on some of the most amazing gifts that God has given to you through your spouse. Next is unrealistic expectations. This is comparison's ugly twin. We often place too much on our spouse. We expect them to meet the demands of our souls that only God can meet. You expect them to think like you, act like you, feel like you, and, and always know what's on your mind. Guess what? They aren't you. That's what attracted you to them in the first place. Or we get really crazy and we expect them to be perfect in speech and conduct. Are you? <laughs> we tend to judge others by what they do. And we judge ourselves by what we intended to do. And that's not fair. Next is sin. We're sinners. And we're married to sinners. And we have to remember that. We sin against our spouse, which can drive them away from us. We need to see sin through the eyes, the lenses of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not lay his life down for perfect people, but for sinners like you and me. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we're called to treat our spouse with grace. They do not deserve sometimes. Treat them as Christ treats them as Christ has treated us. So God gives us grace to deal with the sin of our spouse. Yet there are times when, when sin is so severe it can't be dealt with alone. If you are in an abusive situation or know someone who is, please find help. Anderson Hills is here for you. Your pastors are here for you. You do not have to walk through it alone. You know, there's a maraud of, of different reasons discontentment can grow in your marriage, which is why Solomon encourages you to delight in your spouse. Solomon gives three long discourses in chapter 5, 6, and 7 warning against adultery. And that person is a person of folly. Folly. All, adultery invites people into ruin and destruction. Folly's call may come from a coworker or a neighbor or a website or through social media, but the call will continue to come. The temptation will continue to be there. And how does one stand against Folly's call? It's easy to stand against it if we delight in our spouse. We must be content with the good gift God has given to us. Solomon gives very strong warnings to avoid adultery. He says it leads to death. And I believe spiritual death can happen in adultery. Listen to the outcomes of those who are lured to find satisfaction outside their marriage. Proverbs 6, 32-33 says, But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. 
In the next chapter, Solomon tells about a man who falls into the trap of temptation from adultery. With perverse, per, uh, persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into the noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I said. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to grave, to the grave, leading to the chambers of destruction. Friends, listen close, closely to me today. Some of you are maybe feeling uncomfortable today because maybe you've had an affair or you're in an affair or you're being tempted to have an affair right now. Please listen. This is one of the most foolish things that you can do with your life. You know, you have your reasons, yes. There are excuses there, but they're all wrong. You're acting foolishly. The way of folly leads to death. Don't be deceived in, the, in the thinking you'll find satisfaction outside of your marriage. And the uh, admonishing is for the and, and for the married and the single because the Bible also talks about how sex outside of marriage is wrong. And I know that's not popular, but I'm not here to be popular. Sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage. And remember, God is the creator of sex. And do you really think that you know more than God knows about his creation? Solomon makes his case in Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you, you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Listen to those words as Solomon describes one's satisfaction with the wife. Rejoice, delight, intoxication. And the key to a marriage is to rejoice in the gift of your spouse. Do you realize how amazing it is? It's a gift of God. It comes from above to us. And the key to a healthy marriage is profoundly simple and yet hard. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The, see, the, the key to a healthy marriage is oneness in each other. God desires a husband and wife to be one, and contentment is the fruit of oneness. If couples work to cultivate that one flesh union, they'll be content with one another. Marriages fall apart because couples drift away with each other or from each other rather than working to remain close to each other. Analyze your marriage with the oneness test. Do your activities promote oneness or division? Are you one in your finances, raising your children, family? Are you one in your communication, in your intimacy, your time, and your hobbies? If you're not growing in oneness, there may, may be gaps of discontentment that is growing. Next, the wisdom of marriage is peace. All couples eventually experience times of conflict or are hurt or letting each other down. And sometimes the offense is minor, like forgetting a date, like I always do, or falling to run, failing to run an errand. 
For some couples, the offense maybe is, is major, like uh, infidelity or addiction or physical or verbal abuse. Either way, taking time to seek and to grant forgiveness can play a powerful role in healing and restoring your relationship. Think about it. Forgiveness is a way to peace, a way in which we find peace with God and a way in which we find peace in our marriage. Forgiveness is the decision or choice to give up the right for vengeance or retribution or negative thoughts toward the offender in order to to be free from anger and bitterness and resentment. This process, it promotes healing, my friends, and the restoration of inner peace that we have with ourselves. And it can allow reconciliation to take place in that relationship. Forgiveness is not always quick, my friends. It's a process that can take time to unfold. Don't rush your partner if they need to spend maybe some days or even weeks working through the process of granting forgiveness. I want to go through some important teaching about forgiveness. Six steps for for seeking forgiveness. First of all is admit what you did was wrong or hurtful. Number two, try to understand or empathize the pain which you have caused. Number three, take responsibility for your actions and make restitution if necessary. Number four, assure your partner you'll never do it again. Number five, apologize and ask for forgiveness. And number six, forgive yourself, my friend. The second six steps for granting forgiveness. Think about how important granting forgiveness is. Acknowledge your pain and anger. Be specific about future expectations and limits. Give up your right to get even and insist on being treated better in the future. Let go of blame, resentment, and negativity toward your partner. Communicate your act of forgiveness to your partner. And then lastly, work toward reconciliation. Is your marriage filled with forgiveness? Is the past past? Or do you harbor unforgiveness? Couples need to take responsibility in leading their marriage in peace. And we have to strive to be at peace with our spouse. And Paul gives two major exhortations in Ephesians 5. He tells the husband to sacrificially love their wives just as Christ loved the church. And wives are exhorted to respect their husbands. The key to protecting your marriage is to cultivate that contentment within your marriage, and rejoice in the good gifts given by the hand of God. Lastly, there's wisdom in delighting with each other. Most married couples would say they love their spouse, even on the hardest days, but few marriages reach that level of being delighted in each other. Loving your spouse and delighting in your spouse are two different things, and the difference, I think, is the difference between a good and a great marriage. We all love lots of people, but we do we delight in those people. To delight means to delight in someone means to take great pleasure in them, to adore them, to bask in them. You can love someone but not delight in them. To delight in your spouse means being there and looking for ways to build them up, build them up with your speech and helpless help them accomplish their goals and their dreams and help them succeed. It means delighting in the purity of your marriage. And holding your love and purity for your spouse so that everyone knows and feels it from you. Here's what I mean. Have you ever seen a couple who've been married for 30 or 60 years who are still holding hands or snuggling in public or sharing kisses with each other? I love the PDA. 
I love public displays of affection. Delighting in each other. Have you seen a couple speak highly of each other? You hear a wife talk about her husband, how proud she is of him, and how much she provi- he provides for her and takes leadership. Delighting in your spouse means seeing the person they are becoming and helping them get there. When we love someone, even at our best, we can often love them for what they give to us and how they fulfill us. Delight, my friends, is different. Delight is a focus on one another, being proactive and delighting in each other. Lastly, there's wisdom in marriage power. And where, where does that power come from? The power comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Husbands and wives have to view their spouses through the lenses of Jesus Christ. There are no perfect marriages on this side of heaven, but we have the power through Jesus Christ to cultivate godly marriages. And every believer in Jesus Christ has been given the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh and to live in righteousness. And Jesus Christ died for sinners. And God is not surprised by your sin, my friends. If, you str- if you're struggling in your marriage, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with discontentment, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling in conflict with your spouse, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. If you're in conflict, there is hope for you if you're in conflict with yourself. And if you're divorced, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died to pay for your life. And he's calling you to come to him. He died so that you might have life abundantly. We all have failed in our marriage. We all have been discontented or quarrelsome. But our failures should remind us of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And our only hope in our failures is to cling to Christ, who made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And his grace is greater than our failures, my friends. We do not have to remain in those failures because God gave us power to overcome our sin. You see, the power of God offers sinners resurrection power to live. And Christians can overcome temptation because of Jesus Christ's power. Look at Romans 8, 10 through 11. But it is Christ in you. Even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies Because the Spirit who lives in you, God will give life to your marriage if you trust in Him. God wants our marriages to reflect the gospel. He wants husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He wants wives to respect their husband. He wants our marriages to be a fragrant aroma that leads people to the gospel of grace. Christian responsibility, my friends, has not changed. We are charged to uphold the sacred union of marriage, as a core foundation of the family systems in our nation. And we're commanded to uphold the truth about marriage in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our own families, and in our church. We are called to be people of truth, my friends. Even when truth is not popular, even when truth is denied by the culture around us, Christians have found themselves in this position before. And we will again. God's truth has not changed, my friends. The Holy Scriptures have not changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed. 
Beloved, God desires godly marriages. The world needs godly marriages. We have a great opportunity to display God's wisdom to the world in our marriages and through our marriages. Let's cultivate that together as people who worship here at Anderson Hills so that people will savor and see the beauty of God's wisdom through us and in us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pray that you would bless each couple here. We don't know what the future holds even in our singleness, God. I pray for the legacies of of not only those maybe who are fiancés or those who are going to be married someday. God, I pray for the legacies of the couples gathered here that you would see uh, and, and experience the transformation of your holiness within the confines of the marriages represented in this room. God, I pray that you would bless each couple. You would bless their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren with that incredible godly legacy that we know and love that comes from you. And may we walk in you and in your ways, in that truth that we find in the scriptures. We thank you for Proverbs. We thank you for the wisdom it gives us to live a godly life. We thank you for your love for us and for the beautiful foundation found and godly marriages. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.